Oh, hey, Morgan here. And in case you missed it, Hannah and I usually start every podcast recording grabbing our coffee. If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, you can fuel the podcast by buying us a coffee. No, really. There's a website called buymeacoffee.com. And all you have to do is add a forward slash and we pod. That's buymeacoffee.com slash W-I-I-P-O-D. We love creating the pod. You love listening to the pod. Support the pod financially by buying us a coffee. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are going to be chatting about how to prepare yourself for the long game, that is entrepreneurship, and how to sustain yourself in your business. But before we dive into today's episode, we're going to check in with Morgan. Morgan, I missed you. I missed you too. I feel like we haven't done this in like a month. It feels like it's been so long since we've recorded together. It's been at least two and a half weeks. So that's pretty much a month. Um, Tell us about your business highs and lows this week. My business high of this last week was for sure getting to go to wind the wind symposium in Austin. So much FOMO. So much FOMO. (laughs) It was absolutely incredible getting to meet all of my Instagram friends in real life. We got, I got to meet some people from the accountability club in real life for the first time. Yay! I know. Yeah, it was great sitting for that long was rather challenging for me. And I was uh, supporting with the recording for the like recording everything for the virtual symposium. So I was like front and center handing people the mic and like, it was great because it kept me engaged that I like had a task to do and had to follow along with the slides on my laptop, but also like sitting in the front of the room, I was like fidgety and antsy. And like, if someone didn't have slides that I needed to go through, I'd go like stand in the back while it was recording, but it was an incredible symposium. It was so fun being in Austin with everyone. Highest of highs, those three days, two days. It looked like a lot of people were there as well. Like it was like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I am for sure kind of coming, coming down from that high. I mean, I literally, I flew home on a Friday. I was home for four days and then I drove to Austin for wind. So it was like quick turnaround. And I'm so thankful I had wind to look forward to because I was so sad flying home from Spain that I think if I didn't have a, a an event following it immediately, like last week would have just fucking sucked. I would have just been so sad. Let's be real. If you didn't have an event, you would have changed your flight and stayed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I probably would have. <laughs> no, no bad feelings over here. We're not yeah. feeling our bad, sad feelings. Yeah. I couldn't fall asleep last night and I was literally looking up Airbnbs in Madrid again. <laughs> The week before the Italy trip starts, I was like, can I sneak away to Madrid for a week before I have to meet everyone in Italy? And I was like, 
I could, I could make that happen. That's awesome. My low of this last week is just feeling kind of all out of sorts with being out of office. I was, you know, I was working a little bit, but like technically out of office last week in conjunction with, it was like last week in Spain, kind of out of office week in Austin, also out of office. So then just like getting all my ducks in a row on Monday two days ago was like a whirlwind. I'm like, what day is it? What's happening? How are we in the last week of April? Like what is going on? So I, and I still kind of feel that way of like, thankfully I don't have a ton to do today. And so I'm just like, I'm using this week just to kind of get everything in order. So yeah, so I'm using this week to get back into a rhythm and routine. This is the first week that I'm back in my apartment for a full week in the last six weeks. So here we are. I totally relate to the ducks. My ducks are like on fucking fire. I don't even know where they are. Like they're all over the place. And so, yeah, it's interesting how we need these things to live our lives, like going to Spain and then obviously coming back and then going to Austin and it disrupts so much shit. Like in our businesses and the, it's just normal to like get caught up with the ducks and then having gather them again. I've never actually tried to get ducks in a row, like physical ducks, but I was at a friend's ranch this weekend and they had chickens (laughs) and I was trying to like corral the chickens and like, I really wanted to pick one up, but of course. And so I was going to respect their boundaries. I'm not wanting to be picked up, but I was like walking behind them. Those Things are so freaking fast. I don't know who came up with the phrase, like, get your ducks in a row, but it needs to be, like, corralling chickens instead. Maybe ducks act similarly. I mean, they probably do. They're, like, birds, right? They're all birds. I just, I don't know a lot of people with ducks, but I do know a lot of people with chickens, so that just feels a little bit more relatable, and, like, I can, like, relate to it personally. Let's get some merch that says, get your chickens in a row. (laughs) Get your chickens in a row. (laughs) Corral your chickens. Corral your chickens. What were your highs and lows of the last week? Oh, man. Well, I am in a similar boat as you because I was out of office in Mexico on a trip, which was amazing. And then I got fucking COVID. So that's my low. Yay. I have no energy. Um, I can finally function a little bit. But this is my third time with COVID. Not great. But I seem to be getting it once a year. and. This feels like my worst time of having it. Like I actually lost my taste and smell. And that's how I knew I had Wait, it as well. What? That symptom is back? That symptom is back. I never had it before. Whoa. And that's I how I, my, I lost my taste and smell the first time I had it. And then the last time, but my second time was way worse than my first time too. So was it? Okay. But I still have my taste and smell. I just had the flu. That was whenever we were, we were doing the, the workshop. workshop and the Ooh. day before I was like, dude. I'm so sorry. It sucks. It totally sucks. Um, I remember that. I was actually thinking about that this morning when I knew we were recording and I was like, oh, that's the last time you had COVID. Like, I hope it's the last time ever. Knock on wood for you. Oh, yeah. So is your taste and smell back? It is. Yeah. It's back like 90%, I'd say. It's but a that's weird how I, it's so weird. And it doesn't really matter because it's so interesting. I know 
Well, I guess people who have lost their taste and smell, um, sometimes they'll have like a bad taste instead. That's not been my experience. Thank God. Cause I would be very bummed. Um, but just, I, it didn't make me not want to eat less. Like I still could eat normal and things. Um, but I know a lot of people who could taste garbage would be like, I can't eat anything. And I, that, that would be so fucking hard. So hard, but it's coming back feeling better. That's the only, I don't want to say that's the only reason I knew that I had COVID because I was sick last month in March and I thought I had COVID then, but I kept testing negative. But when I lost my taste and smell and I took a test, I'm not even shitting you, Morgan, one minute into the like results, the line, the second line that tells you you're positive was bright fucking purple. Mm. It, like my viral load was so high, I guess. Dang. And I was like, holy shit. And my parents came into town that day as well. So I was like, fuck. So just like the stress of navigating all of that and then getting over COVID, being back from a trip, having post trip blues, wanting to live in Mexico and, and just like, oh, I don't want to do anything, but I'm still doing stuff. So it's fine. Um, I'm hoping next week will be better. I'm just kind of, I'm doing the meetings I need to this week and I'm trying to catch up and get my chickens corralled and then get back to it next week. But my high is I turned in my final draft for my capstone, which means that all I have to do is get my professor's edits back make those changes and then you're done and then i am i have a master's degree oh my god congratulations thank you it's so crazy well don't tell me tell me congrats when it's all done because i'm like oh my god what is this professor gonna give me feedback on that's gonna take me 100 hours to fix i don't know i'm just being dramatic but yeah i'm so close which feels so so close to being done Yay. Oh my gosh. And this is like, it's like you're finishing your master's and seeing clients for the last time in the same week, right? Yep. Yep. So this is my wow, last that's a lot of change. Partner. Yes. Oh, and just wait until we catch up off mic on my personal life changes too. If we don't talk about a lot of change. So not to leave people, people leading. Oh we'll God. talk about it. We'll talk about it on the pod later. <laughs> There's so much change over here too, that I'm just like, oh my God. Well, without further ado, should we dive into today's episode? Let's do it. There's many facets of the long game of entrepreneurship that we want to talk about. But I think just hearing the long game, some people might be like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And so we want to share a little bit about our experiences as far as like where we've been in our journeys and how we've found over the last several years of being entrepreneurs, like considerations to think about how to pace yourself for the long game, because it's not just, I'm going to build a business and arrive and cash out and leave. It's very much like you need stamina. And there's a lot of things that are always shifting and changing or they will. And there's just so many things that you don't know until you know. And so Morgan, when you saw the topic today, or we were talking about the long game, what came up for you? (laughs) Whenever I think of the long game, I think of the thoughts that I have where I'm like in the trenches with my business. And I'm like, oh my God, do I actually have to do this until I'm 65 years old? (laughs) How am I going to make that long? Say more about that. What what would you be feeling in that moment? What would be something that's happening? 
it would just be like things would either be feeling like really monotonous where I'm like, oh my God, I have to do this one task every week for the next 35 years. Like, holy smokes. Or uh, it might just be one of those weeks where like a lot of shit hits the fan. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have it. I, I don't have it in me to do this for more than five years. <laughs> like, I like, how am I going to, how am I going to make it through? It's I, I have, I can't let myself get in that headspace too much. And I also have to remind myself that like thinking that I have to do something until I'm 65 is also a very different way of thinking because like, I don't work for a company where I have to retire at 60 or like where I can, like, I have to work until I'm 65. Like you, like, it would be really awesome to be able to like retire early and be work optional. And so then I just remind myself of that. I'm like, Morgan, you don't have to do this till you're 65. You can also change things up. 100%. Well, that mindset is really internalized from our parents' generation, right? The boomers who are like, I'm going to stay at this job, run myself into the ground, be miserable. And I know that's not the case for everybody. Like some people really love their careers, but it seems like there's a tone of commitment to this one place. You work your nine to five. Maybe a lot of your priority is other things outside of work, like your family. And so Mm -hmm. you just do the thing you need to during the day. And then you go home to your family, which is awesome. We love that. I think you can do that in this space too. And people do it, but there is just a different mindset and vibe. Well, and it's, it's different whenever like you, if you're working for someone else, there are other people in the company that are setting the higher level goals, having the vision for the company. And like, you're just one piece of executing that. Mm. And you usually have some guidance. Like you're, there's usually someone around you. Like, even if you're in like the C-suite, there's usually someone else in the C-suite that like, it's helping you make those decisions. Or if you're kind of lower down the totem pole, like you're getting information given to you on how to like execute your job. That is not the case when you work for yourself, when you work for yourself, like you have to make every fucking decision and no one prepares you for how exhausting that can be. Preach. Yeah. You have to be the one to decide what the job even is. Yeah. And like, who's going to do it? Are you going to do it? Is someone else going to do it? Like, what's the need? What if that need isn't what you thought it was? How are you going to pivot? Like you are literally doing everything and coming up with everything. And I'm going to put an asterisk because obviously when you have a team, you have help, which is great. But ultimately that's part of entrepreneurship and building businesses is being able to tolerate that. And as you were talking about the weeks where shit hits the fan or you're feeling like monotonous, it pushes you out of your window of tolerance. That's what it kind of comes back to is like, you're either hypo aroused of like not stimulated enough or you're hyper aroused, like so out of your window that you're like, how am I going to do this forever? And I heavily relate to mostly being hyper aroused these days. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just name it. Hannah and I have been running our businesses for like not super long. So who knows what the long game of our businesses actually look like? And we've been running our businesses long enough to have gone through quite a few ebbs, flows, growing pains to set some things, set some parameters in place to support us in this long game of entrepreneurship. Yes. It's like, we've been in it for a while now, 
but in the grand scheme, we're baby entrepreneurs in a way, baby booze. But we've been through, <laughs> I have to give credit to that um, that word to my supervisor, Martha. We always talk about green clinicians. We call them baby booze um, because they just take more supervision and support and we love them. But it's just very cute because when we're hiring, you know, we're like, okay, do we need a more senior clinician at this time or do we need a baby boo? So yes, we are baby boo entrepreneurs in some spaces. Like if you compared us to fortune 100 companies, we're like super mini baby boos. Yes. I love that. (laughs) Baby boo. Add to the merch list. Yes. (laughs) Just kidding. We'll let Martha take that one. We'll take that from her. (laughs) But we've been through what I would consider maybe a cycle of implementing, growing, building, shifting, changing, and then hitting our stride. Mm-hmm. And that's me pulling words out of my ass. I wouldn't say that's the exact cycle, but we've been through enough ebbs and flows to know a little bit of perspective. And so whether you're somebody who just started your business, hasn't even started yet, has a side hustle, or you're someone who's been in the game for several years like us, or someone who's even further out and you're like, I've been through 10 cycles. I think we we want to give you a little bit of thoughts to help sustain you in this. If you're feeling like, oh my God, how am I ever going to arrive to X place? Like I know for me being in the group practice space and when I was starting to hire in 2019, I I wasn't too caught up in this yet, but it kind of came over time as I was learning what other people were doing. I maybe had two or three people on my team and I would look at group practices that had built up to like 10 people And I was like, holy fucking shit. How did they do that? How am I, can I ever get there? Like I'm having a hard time filling this person's caseload right now, X, Y, Z. And the reality is if there's a demand in your area and if you can put in the work and if you have the resources and obviously there's privilege pieces and all of that stuff too. But if, if you want to do it, you can do it. And I mean that very like not a other people are doing it. So you can too, in a toxic way, but just like, why wouldn't you be able to, what makes them so different than you? And also it comes back to the long game of, yeah, you're not going to hire 10 people and sustain them and build their caseload in one year. That's fucking crazy. We're at 10 clinicians. Now I'm going to say nine, because as Morgan said in the beginning, I'm not going to be a clinician for who knows how long after this week. And so we have nine clinicians, but it took us four years to get there. And we've had people come and go. So you have, there's like a, there's a flow there. And I had no idea that we would get to this point. And it comes back to like, we don't know what we don't know. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling at this point. I'm going to pause. Yeah. I, I think one of the, one of the things that I have learned over the last several years of being an entrepreneur is that there are a lot of people that are really good at faking it till they make it. Specifically, I remember kind of in the lines of like, you mentioned comparing yourself to other private practice owners or group practice owners. I would compare myself to people on social media, specifically when people were like, just hit my first 10k month of revenue and they had been on social media like less time than I had it was it's just such a mind fuck of mm. like looking at that and I would say like 80 to 90 percent of the time I can see stuff like that and be like heck yeah you did heck yeah you hit your first 5k month 
But there are times where like, I was just not in the best headspace whenever I'm trying to like run and grow my business or like if I'm at like a crossroads in my business or trying, having to make a decision of where to go, what to say yes to, what to say no to. And then I see things like that, that I'm like, oh, like, what am I doing wrong? Why am Mm -hmm. I not there yet? I feel like I've been doing this so much longer than them. The other piece with this is there is a very good chance that someone might just have a lucky break. They Mm. might just be in the right place at the right time, especially with social media, with weird ass algorithms that no one really knows how it works. And they might have a video or a post or something that goes viral or just gains a lot of traction. And that could really impact their business, maybe for bad, but most likely a little bit for the better because they're getting in front of people. People are starting to follow them. I'm thinking specifically with TikTok. Like, I can't tell you how many times that I've seen like a random video show up on my For You page and it's talking about something I'm interested in and I immediately follow them and then I go and like, that's their only video that has over 10,000 views or 10,000 interactions or whatever it is. And then I'm already following them. And so you kind of get to see them grow from there. But that was a really hard thing for me to grasp too, of like, yes, being a business owner takes a lot of work. Yes. Being a content creator, posting on social media takes a lot of work. And we live in a world where some people might just have a lucky break. And I can't chase that as a goal for myself because you never know when it's going to happen. 1000%. How exhausting would that be to be doing everything you're doing just to try to get that lucky break? Like it, it takes away from building something that you want to be doing and building something sustainable for yourself. It's sort of like, oh yeah. Like if I can just get this correct post and have it go viral, then I'll be good. Then I'll have an audience. And it's like, no, you don't even have like a trusted audience by that. Like, Mm -hmm you know, they're going to follow you, see your one viral post, and maybe they'll end up unfollowing you or be like, now there's an expectation on you. Are you going to keep that up? What are you doing? So there's also the piece where when you talk about being in the right place at the right time, being almost like a founder, someone who's one of the first. Yeah. So for example, in our space, I feel like that's been a lot, to be honest, a lot of my success with group practice coaching, I don't know any other dietitians that are specifically doing group practice coaching for eating disorder professionals? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a few now, but overall, I was kind of like the go-to person. And in some ways, I still am. And that's partially because there's not a lot of other people. And of course, I'm good at my job as well, and I can help people. But I would be lying if I didn't name that that's a piece of it, of being in the right place at the right time and meeting a need of the market. Absolutely. I, I think about that a lot too. And and this was something that I actually, whenever I like, wasn't in the best headspace sometime last year, maybe the year before, because I think it was before we started this podcast. I was like, I was thinking of like, okay, like what's the next big thing there was blogging and then everyone was a blogger and people were getting partnerships and deals and all of that. And then that kind of transformed into like influencers, content creators, 
on social media, kind of around that time is also when I think podcasting really took off. Even when we were starting our podcast, I was like, oh my God, are we like, are we too late to the game? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think at the time there also wasn't, well, and then there was like, and then there was like vlogging on YouTube and then people were like, well, we don't like long form content. And so then that kind of shifted into social media as well and doing like reels and TikToks and things like that. I think that long form videos are, are is going to make a comeback though. YouTube shorts are definitely a hot thing right now. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't fully bought into it myself, but I could see kind of like the trend of the market or like the market trend moving in that direction um, because we're nosy humans and we like to see what other people are doing with their life. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I can yeah. Only, only hold my attention for so long though. Cause I'm like, I want to be doing something else while I'm watching this. Can I just listen? Mm-hmm. But then that takes away from the point from the video, which is why I think podcast will be a superior media source forever and ever because people can do other things while they listen while they listen and it's also like audiobooks have become really popular as well for that same purpose I mean and even like that's something that I'm mindful of when I'm creating lessons for the weight inclusive business academy is like I'm also going to be offering an audio only version because like they don't have to look at slides while they go through the lesson and so I'm pulling out just the audio too so if someone like wants to listen to it 15 minute audio on their drive to work. Like it's like a really mini podcast episode almost. I love that. But there's also a workbook that goes with it. So they will need to go back to the episode or to the lesson eventually. They will want to as well. So can you take us back to Morgan in Morgan Sinclair design circa 2018 Mm -hmm. and tell us like, where your mindset was at in that time and where you are now and just how you're settling into the long game. Like, what do you wish you could tell younger Morgan? I know I'm asking 10 questions here, but just give us an overview of like your journey and the pivots and settling in and what you've kind of learned about the long game that you couldn't have known until you went through it. 2018 Morgan was starting her design studio, Levanto Design Co. in Italy. I had one client for the three months that I was there. It was a girl I knew from college. It was the first time that I had ever designed a logo in Illustrator and Adobe Illustrator, which is where I designed logos. I had heard about digital nomadism, being able to run an online business and work from wherever. And I came back from Italy and I was like, I'm going to run my business full time starting now. And (laughs) I didn't for spoiler alert. I did not. And I'm so thankful I didn't because like no way would I have been able to survive that just from running a business that I had just started and only had one client in the beginning. Like I never would have been able to support myself full time. And I'm so happy it didn't work that way because that was, that was my long game. I was like, I'm going to do this full time. And I am now. So like, you know, we got there eventually. We've had a few extra stops along the way, but one of the most important stops along the way was working as an eating disorder dietitian, making those connections with other providers. I had one provider reach out to me, say, Hey, I think I like randomly saw something on your Facebook that you like had designed a website for someone. Like, can you help me with mine? I don't have the capacity to explain to a web designer what an eating disorder dietitian actually does. And that was my light bulb moment. 
And I think it was very similar to like you were saying, like being one of the first and like meeting a need. I took that and ran with it. I think that call was in like September and I was on a girl's trip to Mexico city, November. So like two months later and had, I was just like chatting with the girls I was with and I was like, okay, as soon as I get back, like I'm shifting everything in my business, I'm going to self brand because as a clinician, like I, people might start recognizing my name as a clinician. And so that would be really helpful to have that be my business name. And I'm only going to work with people in the eating disorder space. (laughs) And the rest is history. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, But that was a really, that was a really pivotal moment. I mean, since then, like, I think there's so many ways that I want to go. I, I, as most people know, you and I talk about this a lot. I also can't imagine myself just doing the same thing forever and ever. Multi-passionate. Multi-passionate. And so like the long game of entrepreneurship for me at this stage in my life looks like taking a handful of one-on-one design clients and then having a few different tiers of options underneath that. So one-on-one design clients is going to be like the top tier highest cost package, which makes sense because it is direct access to me one-on-one and then kind of figuring out what's below that. Because I think if I was only see, if I was only working with clients one-on-one, I'd burn out. Like whenever I'm just doing that, that's when I get the like, oh my God, do I literally have to do this forever until I'm 65? Like there's no way I can do that. Um, and like my clients don't deserve that. They deserve me at my, uh, like my best. And, and whenever, and what that looks like is me having diverse revenue streams to be able to support me financially. So I can be super present and showing up with like my full energy one-on-one with clients. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's my journey. Part it of totally it. does. <laughs> you're, you're making me think when you're talking about streams of revenue, different streams of revenue, and that maybe that's a like tip for settling into the long game. Um, I was talking to somebody when I was in Mexico and he was telling me about a book. I think it's called anti-fragile. Have you heard of it? Oh, I haven't. Okay. I hadn't either until he was telling me about it. Cause we were talking about like the best entrepreneur books that we've read. Mm. And he was telling me this was one of his favorites because it was talking about, I'm going to butcher it. And I want to read the book. That's going to be one of my first reads whenever I'm done with grad school and can Yay. read business things for fun again. Um, he was talking about like somebody who's at a job in a very specific role, maybe they're the most fragile because the company, like they're only trained in one thing. The company could just decide Mm. like, get the fuck out. And then they don't have a job. So they are like fragile. And maybe somebody is stable. If they're at a job, they are um, a manager in a department. They have many skills, like they're very hireable again. Awesome. They're not fragile. And then there's anti-fragile where it's someone who has many streams of revenue. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. They can tolerate risk. And like, they've created this space for themselves of like, you can't touch me. One of these goes away. I'm still good. I have these four other streams. And so I just think that concept is so helpful. And maybe that's part of the long game of entrepreneurship too, is creating that sense of being anti-fragile by you know what, if one of your design clients drops off, you still have X, Y, Z that you're doing. That's bringing in revenue and bringing you joy and passion in your career. 
Yes. And it's built over time, right? Like that's part of the long game too. My brain's kind of going in a, a bunch of different directions. Having multiple revenue streams, I think can be really helpful in stability. And it's not going to be like an overnight thing that you have passive other revenue streams. But I will say this, having to constantly have discovery calls, book people, send contracts in private practice, send initial paperwork and constantly having to find those people and like market yourself really hard in the beginning. And by beginning, I mean like first two, three years. Um, I feel like I'm just getting to a point where like, that's not as exhausting anymore, but it is exhausting. It takes so much energy to have to like find people to come into your business as clients, which also is paired with usually inconsistent revenue, which Mm -hmm. is also hard to deal with. (laughs) Having all those things together is exhausting. I think that's definitely part of the long game. And it's part of the long game that like is unavoidable. Like that's just, that's how it is. Like, that's just how it works at least like 95% of the time. Most people I talk to are like, yeah, that first year of entrepreneurship sucks because like you don't have consistent referrals. You don't have consistent clients. You're kind of taking whoever you don't like, there might be people that are like, you're like, okay, yeah, like I can do the work with you. And like, I've realized after working with you that like, I don't want to take anyone below the age of 14 or like, you know, whatever that is. Uh, I'm just pulling from a conversation I had yesterday. (laughs) And that can also be really exhausting. And it's like holding space for like, yes, I want multiple revenue streams. But if you're do, if you're holding space for that while you're also in like the shit show of that first year of entrepreneurship, fast track to like getting overwhelmed and burnout. Yep. Such a great fucking point. Yes. What is your journey? Yes. Tell us about yours. So for me in 2017, I was working at the hospital. I was really fucking bored. (laughs) Hurry up and do my work. Started working on my blog. I was like, oh, I have a platform. I should try to take a client. And I did. I took one in the fall of 2017. And then in 2018, moved to Denver, quit my job, was like, I'm going to build a private practice, tried to get a job at a treatment center, couldn't. I had like a few clients. And then over the next nine months, when I finally got office space in like July 2018, um, I built my caseload up to full. And from there, mid 2019, I was like, oh, I'm going to hire my first person. And all of this was happening. I'm not fucking sitting there being like, what is my long game? What am I doing here? I was just taking action. Your survival mode at that point. I was, I've been in survival mode until now. I'm still, I'm coming out of it or I'm going to, I'm going to try because, <laughs> because now I need to plan what my long game is. Yeah. So part of us talking about our journey is, is like, we did not know what we didn't know. Like, I didn't know I was going to be able to build up a full caseload. I didn't know I was going to want to hire somebody. I didn't know I was going to be able to fill them up and look for my next person. Fast forward to now where we have a team of 11 people with nine clinicians. I had no idea I was going to do this. And it's only been through, which actually, let me take a step back. I had no idea I was going to stop seeing clients. Yeah, Five years in I'm pivoting. And part of this is to sustain myself, to be able to do this long-term and continue to run nourished and create a space for clinicians to work and do the job they want to do. And for clients to come to and use their insurance and have a great experience. Like 
there's no way I could sustain seeing clients still and doing all of this. And I've had to learn that. And my long game is to not do that anymore. Yeah. And to do other projects because I'm with you in like, I need different kinds of stimulation. That's why I love this podcast. I love doing business coaching because there's the exciting stimulation of helping somebody else on their entrepreneurship journey and being like, fuck yes. Like we're here in this and we do this every single day and we're talking about it and you can do this too. Not in a toxic way, but just like a, we're not special. <laughs> we're average. Right. And so, but just getting, getting to activate that part of our brain and have these conversations and not be in the emotional clinician space all the time. Yeah. is really important, especially to me. I know you've been out of it for a bit. Yes. And that was, I didn't know that was part of the long game either. I mean, I kind of knew my senior year of college, I was like, I don't want to work as a dietitian. And then I did. And I, I knew that that was not the long game for me. So, um, but it was, a, it was a very important part of like getting me to where I am right now. Um, I do want to, I, I want to talk about, so survival mode. I want to talk about this because I, my first two years of entrepreneurship, how many years am I in? Two and a half years of full-time entrepreneurship, but like full-time, like, oh, full-time. Yeah. Like two and a half years. I think my first at least year and a half, probably two years was straight up survival mode. Um, it was like, I just need to figure out like the next step. Like I, whenever it, it was a point where like, when I would dream about the future, I would get so overwhelmed with my present day state. And so I just want to name that of it's okay. Like you said, if you don't know what the long game is, like, it's okay to just look at, okay, I just completed, I just got my first client. What do I need to do to get my second one? I just had five clients. What do I need to do to get 10? And just like, look at those like little baby steps, like cone, like blinders on just like looking down at your path. And one thing that I have found super helpful to kind of bridge this gap of like survival mode, but also recognizing that I do want to grow and I do want to have multiple streams of revenue and I do want to make this sustainable for me is figuring out short-term and long-term planning. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you and I are passionate about. What I have found to work best for me is setting up a three-year vision of like what I want my personal life to look like in three years. As we've talked about before, I will drop work at the end of the day to go to happy hour. I'm a very like living my life, personal love that for you kind of girl. And so that is, that's what works for me is getting to vision envision my life three years from now. What do I have? What am I doing? Where am I living? Who am I with? Like all of those things, because knowing where I can be personally helps me figure out what I need to do in my business in order to like mostly financially achieve those goals. And so that's what I start with. And then I kind of look, I kind of like bring it back and I'm like, okay, if I know that's where I want to be in three years, like, what do I need to do this year of my business very loosely? There's a lot of flexibility with it. We cannot predict what we're, we can't predict tomorrow. I know that's such a cliche, but like we can't predict tomorrow, much less a year of our business. Like we can have goals and we can have a vision for it, but like, who knows where we're going to be in a year? What has really helped me 
stay present, stay focused, not get overwhelmed with like this big growth is quarterly goals, which is why we're doing the accountability club because you yes. and I were doing quarterly goals. And then we were like, wow, like this is really, really helpful. And so figuring out like, okay, three months is a good amount of time. Like I can, I can pretty much predict what's going to happen in three months, or at least like what I want to get accomplished in three months. Yes. And so planning like what we want to happen over three months and then breaking that down even more into monthly goals. And it feels, I I know that was like a lot of stages, like three year, one year, quarterly, monthly, but like three year and one year kind of like fluffy, big dreams. And then when I'm looking at my monthly goals, one thing that I actually started doing the beginning of this year, which I know we're only like four months into the year, but it's been helpful to kind of, it's a lot. It's a lot into the year. I can't believe it. It is almost five, almost five. We're almost to month five (laughs) Um, is uh, okay. These are my quarterly goals. These are my monthly goals. Whenever I'm working on setting up my monthly goals, I'm like, okay, what is like super realistic that I know I can get done this month that like no problem. Like this is a pattern. I know that I will be able to accomplish that. Great. That's the baseline because I like to check off goals. (laughs) but it's still, there's still growth in the business. Then I look at if sky's the limit and the way that I think about this, because I have so many different revenue streams or so many different like cookie jars that my hands are in. I'm like, my sky's the limit goal is if I only focus on this one project and had nothing else distracting me, what would I be able to get done this month? Knowing that that's probably not realistic, but it kind of helps like with the forward trajectory. And then somewhere in the middle between those are my push goals, which are goals Mm. that we aim for if we want to like get a little uncomfy with our goal setting. I love it. Your system is chef's kiss and has came from your experience of entrepreneurship and what seems to work. And obviously I'm totally with you. Um, Three months or sorry, a quarter is the perfect amount of time to make some traction without it feeling overwhelming or so far-fetched. And this kind of goes back to pacing yourself, right? Like take it a step at a time, be in action mode, go through with things and don't get too caught up in like, what am I doing and why? Because you will hit that point once you complete the cycle and take a look back at what you've done and where you're going and seeing what you're even capable of to give you that proof of like, okay, I can do this. And I did this or like, this didn't work and I pivoted. And so what's next. And I feel like you need time in your business to get to that point. And in between those points of like, I've completed a cycle and I kind of know what I can do in what amount of time. That's how I feel for like hiring for the group practice. Then it's time to take a rest. So for example, for me, a lot of transitions happening right now. And I'm taking two weeks off in May. Never have done that before. And I'm still going to, we're still going to record the pod, but I'm not meet, taking any meetings. I'm not doing any business coaching. I'm not doing like, I'm doing very tiny, minimal work. And I'm going to do a lot of days of no work because it's been five years and I need to step away and figure out what I'm doing and why in this transformative time. So whether you take a quote unquote major rest, and I'm saying major because that's a lot for an entrepreneur to take off. Like we're two we weeks don't... without revenue. Yes, but I will have revenue because I've set myself up sure. again after <laughs> after five years. Like you get these things in place. 
So maybe you take long weekends. Maybe you take a week off every now and again to reset and give yourself the space to think about like, what is my long game? But don't think about it every day. You will burn out. It's like adminations. That's why we do adminations. Yes. Which we will have an admincation coming up that we're going to talk about very, very soon in Mexico City. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the pod on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please leave us a rating and review, share with the business bestie, buy us a coffee, and check out our website at weightinclusiveinnovators.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.